It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Live here, Lensec Live. What's your perspective? Radio show slash television. And I'm excited to welcome the program first, my co-host, Keith Harris, Director of Marketing here at Lensec and Communications. Keith, how are you? And, uh, you know, we just continue to uh, have these really great conversations with really good guests. Oh, yeah. Things are, are going well here. Um, we're rocking right along. Happy to have uh, um Jake Parker from the Security Industry Association along with us today. Yeah, so we're excited to welcome Jake Partner from the Partner Alliance for Safer Schools and also Sia. Uh, Jake, st- thanks for stopping by. What's your perspective? Thank you. All right, so let's kind of hit it off by learning a little bit more about Jake, what his responsibilities are with, first of all, Sia and then the pass. Sure. So I'm wearing uh, two hats uh, today. One, as I'm currently the Senior Director of Government Affairs with the Security Industry Association. We're a trade association that represents about a thousand uh, security solutions providers. And uh, I work in government affairs. It heads up our um, legislative and regulatory initiatives and also is a long, long time um, uh, work for a long time on school school safety issues as far as um, increasing grant funding available for those purposes. They're very interesting. And with PASS, uh, I'm a member of the board of the Partner Alliance for Safer Schools. Uh, that is an organization that uh, SIA wa- uh, co-founded with several other organizations. And I think, Jake, you see the need for the past, which we've talked about in so many different broadcasts that I've been able to interview a lot of your um, people that are involved in this, because again, schools need to have specific guidelines. There are guidelines available, but something that's available to them and having the resources that you you have at your fingertips with the past. Yeah, I'm really proud of what uh, it's been able to achieve so far. And just, yeah, I apologize if I'm duplicating what some of your guests might have talked about, but basically, um, this really came together after the attacks on uh, Sandy Hook Elementary um, a number of years ago. And you know, our industry realized that there wasn't an established set of guidelines that would help uh, school administrators figure out what their security posture is in a real in a coordinated way and then figure out where they need to make um, needed improvements. And so they came together as a way for initially for industry to uh, provide uniform guidance and they produced the first uh, guidelines for safety and security guidelines for K-12 schools uh, back in 2015. Uh, but what we've done uh, more recently is really expand and update that that guidance uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, and with the input additionally of many other organizations involved in the school safety uh, spectrum. And so um, as of today, uh, this is the past K-12 uh, school security guidelines is really the most recognized um, uh, information about how to secure schools facilities that's really that's out there and the most comprehensive. 
We had Guy Grace on uh, back in, I believe it was May, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he uh, he did a great job kind of telling us what the current situations are in schools and gave us some highlights looking towards uh, um, new guidelines that will be coming. But uh, Pastorly has done a great job of presenting some good information, like as you said, for school administrators, but also for the security industry as a whole. There's many, many integrators who know a lot about security, but they might not know as much about schools. And so these guidelines really help them get focused and point towards the right things that they can do to engage with their school customers. That's a great point. That's definitely one of the objectives here is to get industry kind of on the same page. And as you said, um, security has some basic tenets, uh, you know, as applied anywhere, but in the K-12 setting, there's really specific uh, considerations that need to be uh, that need to be made. And so that's the idea here is to uh, help industry coalesce around a set of uh, guidelines specific for that implementation. How many, because we're going to talk about now the question about the new guidelines that are being written as we speak, how many different editions of guidelines have you guys had so far for the past since its inception? So um, the, right now, what we have on our website uh, that's available for free, anyone to download, is version four. And that was done about 18 months ago. We were getting ready to update with version five uh, here within the next four weeks. I will be releasing that, um, in, which is really kind of an incremental update. Um, but one thing we're doing is uh, including, uh, we're linking out to a number of really good resources we recommend from other organizations we're working with, for example, in the, um, in the school safety space, like the National School Boards Association, uh, the School Psycholo Psychologist Association, and others. Um, but we've chosen to make the guidelines really specific to facility security, kind of staying in that lane. Um, but we're also including some more information about code compliance uh, which may vary uh, by state and jurisdiction to help uh, folks navigate that. And probably the biggest, um, uh, and then one other thing we're doing, I'm sorry, is, is include some example documents of various types of school safety plans uh, that can be used to, uh, to create new ones. Um, so that's something we didn't have before. But probably the biggest uh, difference is we are including an emerging, emerging technology section because um, you know, I think overall we're trying to, to present a consensus view of, of what needs to happen in K-12 school security from in the tiered way that we talked about before. Um, so for that reason, fairly conservative, you know, about, you know, about emerging technology. But at the same time, um, everyone has to plan ahead for the future. And there's a lot of questions um, that we've encountered about some school security technologies that I think really need to be addressed looking forward. So we've included a new emerging technology section, and it talks about uh, some things where there's been a lot of interest from school safety professionals. For example, uh, implementing vape detection uh, technology. I know it's a huge problem in high school, high schools around the country, um, is the problem with vaping. And then um, just with the COVID-19 response and in the reopening of schools, which is uh, really all over the map uh, in the country right now as far as, uh, as the pace of that, uh, so thermal imaging cameras have been something that people have talked about and other ways of uh, screening uh, for temperature. It's very challenging to implement that correctly. We'll include some information on that. Um, and then also passive weapons detection, something I'm actually pretty excited about, the possibility of being able to screen for contraband and for dangerous uh, articles that might be brought into school in a very non-invasive way. 
uh, in a way that doesn't impede, impede flow in and out. And I think that's uh, really promising technology. And then lastly, um, we've heard a lot uh, this year about facial recognition, and that's certainly an emerging uh, security technology that there's interest in um, as far as protecting K-12 campuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of going into them, talking about those guidelines is very interesting. When do you expect them to launch? I think it'll be in the next, it'll be in the next month. I can't give you a, a specific date, but hopefully at the beginning of September, uh, we'll have that ready to go. All right, fantastic. One of the other things you're trying to do with the past is when we we connected about, you know, I guess it's been like 14 to 16 months ago, uh, you, you were slowly but surely looking at, well, we created these guidelines, but what about all the security people in the security industry? How can they get actively involved in this? Because this is a non-for-profit. This is not a uh, profit business. You're providing all these guidelines for free and want to get it to as many schools as possible and have your consultants go out to this as many schools as possible. You need backing from the security industry to help in specific projects or certain things. So last year, you started the process of creating a program for the industry, right? Industry program to be involved in the best. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just provide you an update too. Like um, in July, we, um, uh, PASS became a 501c3, so an independent uh, uh, organization. Uh, prior, it was a uh, coalition of associations and other groups. And so its status as an independent organization has been more uh, formalized now. And then also that gives us the opportunity to uh, create a uh, more structured PASS partner program, uh, which is something we've talked a lot with industry about um, in, the, in, in recent months. But as we're going to be formalizing that and rolling it out in the fall. Uh, and what that will allow us to do is uh, allow industry to uh, embrace the guidelines, work, uh, use them to work with schools uh, in their interactions with customers. And we know already that's occurred, but we're doing that in a more formalized way now where they'll be real specific about what you're, um, what we're providing to you as far as uh, training opportunities. That's going to be a big push. Help train your personnel on how to use this resource um, and then train your help, you know, work with your with your customers. And so we've already seen significant buy in to, um, uh, to to the training and the use of the guidelines from, uh, for example, Johnson Controls, one of the biggest uh, security integrators in the country working in K-12 and one of the largest manufacturers in the Legion have done the same. And we're going to be rolling that out for other um, folks in the industry as well. That's great news. Uh, training is always key. We talk about it a lot, a lot at Lensec, um, not only with our uh, our product and our partners, but also among our own staff to get trained up and to know um, more about the security industry. There's so much uh, depth involved there, um, and especially when you talk about understanding what schools are looking for. I'm sure there's a lot to learn. Yeah, absolutely. That's the other thing. So we've gotten a lot of feedback from. Um, folks that have downloaded the guidelines, and I'll just say we've had over 4,000 people, um, individuals, download uh, this resource just in the last 18 months, and we're seeing that who the typical people are that are, that are downloading it. These are uh, principals. These are administrators, uh, folks that are likely the, the responsible for security in their schools, even if they're not security experts. And so one thing we've also heard from them is, uh, you know, do you have, are you able to help us you know, in the process of applying these to our situation. And so that's another thing we're planning to roll out in 2021 is uh, the ability to send 
uh, some of our um, experts that are on our um, advisory committee out to do those types of activities in school districts. What are some of the best practices that school administrators are learning from the guidelines? What sparks their interest or what, what are they most engaged with? I think what's, a, what's appealing is that it's a very um, uh, easily understandable framework for looking at your facilities. You can actually take the, the checklist that goes along with the past guidelines and look at your uh, you know, a non-trained person can go look at your buildings and, and look at information about the systems you have and stuff like that and figure out where you're at on this continuum of, uh, of school security uh, is by tier. And I think that's that's one of the appeals. And also, I think there is, the, you know, prior to this, there was really a lack of um, infrastructure specific information about what you should be looking for in evaluation. There's other ways to, you know, and of course, we recommend having risk assessments done, of course as part of this process. But I think uh, often what you're left with is just, you know, your local law enforcement going in and walking around your buildings and, you know, saying, well, maybe you need a camera there or something, which is helpful. And, you know, that's good. And in, in, um, you don't have other options. But I think that, that what we're hoping to offer is more comprehensive information, something you could use to work with local integrators in your area uh, to tailor a uh, plan for you, maybe not just about what you're doing this year, but over the next couple of years where you want to be. What are your thoughts of opening schools? Again, we're seeing uh, a variety of ways that are being opened in Pennsylvania. Uh, we're going; they're going to be masks the entire time, hybrid in specific ages, and every day in others. I think that what Pennsylvania is doing is a model that should be done for all of the United States. And the fact that yes, we're going to look at our population, we're going to look at hybrid versus not hybrid. Like, it was very interesting. I spoke to uh, higher up in, in the in teachers union, uh, and she basically brought up the thing that certain kids need to be taught five days a week in the school. And those are special needs kids. There are specific people that have certain issues. They need to be if the school is opened up. So, but looking at age and everything, I think that's a better model than just saying, okay, guys, just go out and, and start school up because we just don't know what's gonna happen in the next couple of weeks as we're seeing things, feedback coming through. What are you seeing on your end in those conversations? Yeah, I mean, I guess I agree with you. I think a hybrid approach is, you know, makes a lot of sense. I mean, sure, it's harder to implement that way, um, but we're in uncharted territory here. I mean, as far as this pandemic and something we haven't seen worldwide in over hundred years, um, it's really a, a, a crazy situation. Um, but I will say that it, I know this is probably hard to do, um, but in a situation where you've got your facility pretty much unoccupied for the next couple of weeks, couple of months, maybe longer, depending on the situation, it's definitely a good time to uh, evaluate your facility safety and security measures, you know, looking at reopening and return, uh, because normally a lot of work has to be squeezed into the summer, uh, but, you know, that you need to do when before students come back. Now you've got more time. Uh, and so hopefully there's an opportunity there to take a closer look at all this in the meantime. Yeah, getting the kids back into school is, I think, on everyone's mind. Um, you know, then it, it makes it difficult on everybody. It makes it difficult on the teachers trying to understand how kids are getting their work done. It makes it difficult on the parents. And it certainly isn't easy on the kids. Um, but, uh, you know, when you're talking about monitoring and making sure that 
that um, guidelines and rules are followed, you can leverage your security tools for operational use in that regard. Um, how do you see schools uh, being able to do that as they start to bring kids back in? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's been a lot of it, I mean, definitely a lot of talk about, you know, online security uh, needs, making sure that, you know, a lot of students are accessing their um, schoolwork and their classrooms through, you know, various types of technology. And I think that's obviously the cybersecurity concerns there uh, is a huge issue. Just, I mean, in Virginia, uh, this, this spring, I remember, and this is in our area, uh, there was uh, an issue with kind of um, people dropping, like Zoom bombing their class, you know, classes and just a lot of a lot of weird things that were going on uh, where you need to protect kids uh, from that element. So um, I think that's probably the biggest focus. But even uh, operationally, schools can monitor um, activities in and around their, their campuses as people come back into play on campuses. Uh, so they might be able to do, for example, um, we've talked on this show previously about um, contact tracing or tracking activity through a building uh, using security tools as an operational method as opposed to just your standard security method. Um, so I think that's a, that's a way that schools could potentially leverage some tools that they already have in place to be able to keep people where they need to be at the right times. Absolutely. Well, Jake, I appreciate you coming by. It was such jam-packed with such great information. People remember, like and share this everywhere you can on any of our social media platforms and different places, because this is a great resource, especially the past, uh, to check it out. So where can we go? Best information, Jake, on the website or pass. So passk12.org. Um, just visit our site and you can download uh, both the checklist and the guidance for free. There's also some uh, other information uh, on there that would be helpful to you as well uh, that we posted on some emerging issues. Fantastic. And that's one awesome place. And then where can we learn about SIA as well? Uh, securityindustry.org uh, to learn more about SIA and what we do. So you're a busy guy, Jake. I appreciate coming on, but you're a great resource, uh, you and Kara, and we're working on a lot of interesting guests involved with SIA for what's your perspective and also my syndication. So there's a lot of awesome things coming up and keep anything to add with the awesome information Jake provided for us today. Just make sure you go check out the guidelines. We also have them on our website, uh, lensec.com under the education uh, vertical market. Um, and we'll be updating those as the new guidelines come out. But uh, the past guidelines, Partner Alliance for Safer Schools are a really good tool that school administrators and uh, people within the security industry to go can go to, um, to to find out how to engage with your school and how to um, leverage the best security solutions that are out there and, uh, and scale those to your specific needs. So I really do recommend it. Find those at passk12.org. Fantastic, thank you, Keith, again. Thank you, Jake, and everyone needs to go to lensec.com slash live and check out all of our other live broadcasts and all the different social media channels at Lensec. You can figure out how to follow us in all those places. Uh, appreciate again, everyone watching What's Your Perspective and listening to What's Your Perspective and take care and we'll be talking very soon. Thanks for opportunity. Neil Haley here. 
Lensec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K-12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensec's enterprise-level video management software, Perspective VMS, is a browser-based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 interactive features in a thin client application that is designed to provide real-time situational awareness. Access control and other advanced features are integrated into a unified security platform, creating an ability to track behavior and movement while monitoring the live or recorded video. For more information, please visit Lensec.com. And now back to the show. Back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Author's Corner segment, and I'm excited to welcome to the program Dr. Karima Harani, author of Your Doctor Did Not Tell You. How are you, Dr. Karima? How are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor. Absolutely. Let's kind of go really to your background a little bit, and we'll get into the, the title. Tell us your background. Okay. I'm a board-certified family physician with a master's degree in nutrition, and I have a complementary alternative integrative medicine practice, and I have been doing this for over 20 years, and uh, I've had a lot of success treating pain, uh, which led me to write this book, Your Doctor Didn't Tell You, How Complementary Alternative Medicine Can Help Your Pain. And see, that's interesting you bring all that up, because again, Let's talk about specifically enough pain, how we get rid of pain if you're not using alternative medicine. It's gonna be it's gonna be some sort of pharmaceutical right off the bat without looking at a lot of the other causes. Is that correct? Exactly. And sadly, uh, I you know, I recently attended a pain management conference and one of the things you know the physicians there said is the outcomes of treating chronic pain are dismal. So sadly, um, the you know pharmaceuticals um, haven't really panned out to be of great benefit for um, for managing pain. Definitely, and it's because we are not going to go into the politics of reasons, maybe, or reasons that of that financially. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's easier to give someone a pill and not tell them to follow certain regimens than going into looking at everything. Right. Exactly, Neil. Um, sadly, others uh, others profit from uh, patients being in pain. So it it it's there's no there's no profit in patients getting out of pain, and so a lot of wonderful therapies that have been around for you know maybe even a hundred years um, will never get known to patients, even though these these treatments have scientifically been proven to be safe and effective, uh, simply because there's no money in it for big pharma or the medical establishment. What made you uh, want to be on this mission? Because you could have just been like everyone else. Um, 
I've always just been very curious and I've always just uh, always known that when somebody tells me that this is the only way to treat something, um, I, you know, I don't always listen to that. I listen to, you know, something else that, you know, there's got to be something else out there for these chronic, you know, chronically suffering uh, patients. And lo and behold, I, you know, was able to discover some wonderful treatments, um, three of which I call my golden triad. Define for me uh, some of these chronic pains you're talking about, or chronic conditions. The, the, uh, some of the most common chronic conditions that I talk about in my book are headaches, the granddaddy of them all. Um, millions of uh, people suffer from headaches and low back pain. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people don't realize that uh, uh, pelvic pain, male and female, is a very common chronic problem. Um, of course, joint pain, osteoarthritis is another, you know, big, um, you know, segment of the pain population. And another big segment is chronic post-operative pain. So a lot of patients go in, you know, and have surgeries that they weren't expecting to have, you know, chronic pain from, for example, like a prostatectomy or a mastectomy for breast cancer, and they end up with chronic pain. So these are some of the, um, the chronic pain segments that I talk about in my book, including neuropathic pain, for example, um, fibromyalgia or um, sickle cell uh, crisis. You know, these, these are uh, types of chronic pains that I talk about. And through pain leads to not be able to perform your job as well, not be able to perform your duties or being a parent or- Absolutely, the cost life. of- Yeah. Yes, the cost of chronic pain is uh, in the billions, like $600 billion because uh, lost wages, uh, poor quality of life, and then not to mention depression and stress and anxiety and insomnia. And all of these are treatable, you know, patients really don't have to um, suffer like this. They don't have to suffer. So what are some tips right now that can help alleviate chronic pain? Well, um, a lot of patients don't know this, but just diet and exercise alone can bring about 20 to 25% improvement in, in your chronic pain. Um, diet, um, uh, an anti-inflammatory diet or an elimination diet um, can, can help patients with pain all the time. And this is what I see in my practice. In fact, the diet part is the major crux of my, of my treatment regimen for my patients. Uh, there are some supplements that have been studied. Uh, for example, B12 um, is um, on the U.S. guidelines for prevention of migraine headaches. So vitamin B12, magnesium, vitamin D, uh, fish oils. So these are some easy, simple things that patients can be doing to help them with their pain. But sadly, um, their doctor didn't tell them about this. And the research is out there. The golden triad that I was telling you about is, is sort of the mainstay of my, of my you know, treatments. And one of them, uh, pulsed electromagnetic frequency, uh, two versions of it are FDA approved. And um, there's more than like 10,000 publications on it. So safety and efficacy is well established. And it's just a, an electrical coil with a magnetic frequency uh, pulsating that we put 
you know, on the area of pain and it can, it can bring about significant improvement in pain. So it's very safe, non-pharmacological, non-invasive. Um, and sadly, doctors don't know about it. And so patients don't know about it, but it's one of the first things that I prescribe. And the second thing I prescribe is if need be, is neural trigger point therapy. And uh, JFK's White House staff physician actually went to Germany to learn this treatment. And she brought back just um, uh, one aspect of it, and she called it neuro, uh, trigger point therapy. And so what she missed out on is the full breadth of uh, neural therapy. And so I call it neural trigger point therapy. And what it is is just the use of Novocaine, which is a, uh, a dental anesthetic, to um, just make these tiny little blebs under the skin um, to just kind of reset the nerves and, uh, and help get rid of pain. And things like scars or tattoos or even tonsils uh, can be huge interference fields. In fact, I had a patient that came in to, you know, I, this is a typical scenario. Um, she had had two plastic surgeries and she was left with chronic pain in her neck. Um, she didn't have a life because she was dependent on um, pain meds. And I just did these simple, tiny little injections under the, under the scar and immediately her pain was gone. She never needed um, to return again for these treatments. Uh, she was no longer, you know, on pain meds and she was, uh, she got her life back. And finally, the third part of the triad is ozone therapy. Huh. Ozone also discovered in Germany um, over 100 years ago. It's a, a simple gas made up of three oxygen atoms. So again, very safe because nobody's allergic to um, oxygen. And um, ozone's main uh, mechanism of action is to just shut off the pain receptors when injected directly. Oh, wow. And another mechanism of action is just uh, helping your own cells produce your own antioxidants. So that reduces inflammation. So these are my, you know, my golden triad, but the diet is always important and exercise, of course. And when these three fail, I, um, I will employ uh, plasma-rich platelet therapy or PRP, which comes from your own blood. And, um, and stem cells, which come from the umbilical cord tissue of newborn babies. So um, all of these treatments, there's quite a bit of research that's been done on them. Um, and, that's, and that's why I find it very fascinating and, um, and exciting to use in my practice because I get great results. Exactly. So where can people find information on you so they too can alleviate their chronic pain and do it in an alternative way than pharmaceutical drugs and certain things, surgeries, wherever it's the best place they can go. Exactly. DrHirani.com, D-R-H-I-R-A-N-I.com. Awesome. Well, thanks for stopping by. And such great information. People need to jot it down and really look at these things, especially when their chronic pain's gotten a lot worse because of COVID-19, because they're not moving around. They're not able to exercise as much, but they really have to take action and take action today. So I appreciate you stopping by. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Neil. It was a pleasure. Take care now. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show here on the Author's Corner segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program author Lisa Burbage, author of Don't Be Perfect, Just Be Better. Lisa, thanks for stopping by, and how are you? I'm fine. How about you, Neil? 
I'm doing great. You know, and it's kind of interesting when you talk specifically enough about uh, being, you know, don't be perfect because so many people make the mistake of being trying to be perfect in business. And sorry, it's not going to work. It's not going to work in life. And when we're perfectionists, we really limit ourselves, I think. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. That is counterproductive. So counterproductive. And, and is that what you're thinking about when you made, came up with the title of the book? Well, um, what I do is I'm an employee wellness expert. I um, run corporate programs to get employees happier and healthier. And what I've noticed is so many people, they have good intentions. They know it's good for them. On some level, they want to do it. But what happens is they start making a new change, usually around losing weight, moving more, eating better reducing stress and they don't do it perfectly and so they quit yes and they never get back on because what can so happen that's kind of how i came to, to this book yeah absolutely but i was going to say it's a situation where you can you cannot be perfect when it comes to a diet and health and wellness we're all going to fall off at times we're not going to be consistent on every meal yes we're not going to be consistent in every workout there's going to be times that we're not going to get to work out. There's going to be consistency where we don't get to sleep the proper number of hours. So that's what you're trying to tell people and teach people is guess what? Just because I failed yesterday doesn't mean the next day I can't, I can't come back and do the right thing. Right, exactly. Um, I teach people to think small. Um, thinking small means just doing one little thing. Most people fail because they have this lofty goal. It might be, okay, I want to lose 25 pounds. And they focus on the 25 pounds nice. instead of what they need to do each day, each little step they need to take each day to get them a little closer to that end goal. So we always set an end goal and then we kind of forget about it. Then we focus on what we can do every day to get them a little bit closer. And that may be um, like today, I set out my running shoes or my walking shoes. And that's all I do that day. That's it. That's, that's, I mean, that's, we really, really bite size it down. It definitely sounds like you bite size it down. And the fact is that, you know, people have these get rich, I mean, get quick diet plans that don't work because it's not going to stay forever. You're not going to be consistently just eating one thing. You're not going to consistently be working out so much. It has to become a lifestyle. And so many people think that their program is a lifestyle. And then when they try that lifestyle and fail, they just go back to their normal habits, which are not the best at times. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah, um, you know, I've obviously practiced what I preach, and I'm far from perfect. Mm -hmm. um, I, I call myself a recovering perfectionist because I used to always try to do everything perfect, and then I realized that was not sustainable. Um, so what I've learned to do is, you know, if I'm out with friends and we want to eat dessert and we want to drink wine, we do it. And then the next day, I'll, I'll get back on track and, and make sure I'm a little more conscious of what I'm eating. 
um, that sort of thing. But I enjoy life. It, nothing, we're not going to be on a diet for the rest of our lives. It's not sustainable. You don't want to, exactly. And that's the key component is you want to continue to move forward, making the right decisions. And sometimes you're going to fail. How's COVID-19 affected your clients? Or hopefully that you've been able to help coach them through that. But what about other people you've seen around and research because of what's happened with COVID-19 and how a lot of our routines have changed, especially the first three or four months of this pandemic? Yes. Yeah, I've seen um, the one, well, there's a lot of things good that have come out of COVID for me um, and I think for individuals in general. One is we are finally focusing on our health. I mean, people have always said, well, you know, I don't care if I'm heavy. It doesn't matter. Well, now we know it's a health consequence. It's a comorbidity. Being overweight puts you at risk for getting COVID. So people are more aware of it now. It's not about the way you look. It's about the way you feel and how it affects your health. So people are, are wellness and or more importantly, health is top of mind now for a lot of people as a result of COVID. The other thing that I've noticed is people are not able to focus right now. And so trying to be a perfectionist when you're having trouble focusing, it's counterproductive. So instead of managing your weight right now, maybe we manage your stress level. Um, maybe we work on getting your anxiety level down. Um, and that way you might try to focus on one thing that you can change in the next 30 days. Um, it might be, okay, um, I don't have dessert for the month of October. So people are, I, I'm trying to encourage people to just focus on one thing and one thing only instead of trying to lose weight, exercise more, eat more vegetables, it's overwhelming. And every week is a different thing with COVID anyway. So just try to focus again on one little thing, nail it, build some momentum, and then you keep building on that. And, um, and, and try really hard to um, not set too many lofty goals um, around your health, even though you know that you need to get healthy because you don't want to be at risk for getting the virus. So it's interesting that I didn't know there's so many people like you out there to help people. So who are people that would need your services mm -hmm. and would need your coaching? Who would you say they would be? Well, um, I work in the corporate space. Um, I run group programs. Um, even though I have my master's in counseling and I'm a nationally board certified health and wellness coach, I've chosen to work in the corporate space with only with groups. So I, prior to COVID, would go on site to a company. Now, another good thing that's come out of COVID is I can do virtual. So I can work with a company in Arizona, even though I'm physically in South Carolina. So that's opened up a whole new world, but I do only work with groups of people. Um, and my, I guess my flagship program is my diabetes prevention program. I say it's my program. It's actually a CDC program that I'm a master trainer for. I'm one of 180 master trainers for the CDC in that program. And I can run that program virtually now, which is wonderful. 
Well, fabulous. A lot of uh, great things you're doing, and it's fantastic uh, to learn more about working with corporations. I think they need it, especially with a lot of them working remote now, uh, and they're not making those healthy yes. choices, and they're fearful, and they need someone like an expert like yourself to help. So where can people purchase your book and learn more about you? Where can they go? Um, they can find out more about me at wellness5five.com. That's the name of my company, wellness5.com. And um, my book will be available for purchase um, in early 2021. I'm launching my book in 2021. Okay. Well, great. But people can go check you out now. So I appreciate your time and appreciate coming on the show. Thank you, Mark, for having me. You're welcome. You're listening to the show. And we'll be back in just a moment. Thanks again. back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Author's Corner segment. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Marsha Gleit. And she is the author of You Can't Be Good for Them Until You Are Good to You. So, uh, Marsha, thanks for stopping by. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for um, taking the time this morning for me. Yes. And so I think I am going to take this a different realm. I, you know, different questions, <laughs> interviewing different people. Define coaching for me. I'm going to throw you on the spot because, again, as, you, as a coach, define coaching. And I would love to know what you see it because there's a lot of people that call themselves coaches, which are really just consultants. They don't coach. They just consult saying, do it my way or the highway. Coaching's way different, isn't it? It absolutely is. And I just um, uh, had a client on the phone the other day, and she goes, tell me what I'm supposed to do. And I'm like, that's not my job. My job not to tell me tell you what you're supposed to do. My job is to help ask questions, listen to what you're saying, repeat it back to you, framing it so you can hear it and understand it, and so that you can come up with what it is you're supposed to do. And um, it really frustrates clients a lot of times because they want to be told what to do, and that's not my job. And then when you talk about consultants and they, when they tell people, they're really putting themselves out there because if they made the wrong decision because they didn't get the right information, that's why a coach is better in a way because they're going to really understand the background of the person. They're going to understand their, their weaknesses and strengths. They're going to understand all these different things. Then you're going to give the tools necessary to coach them to the next level saying, okay, yeah. we're, we want to get to here, but the only way to get here is to know who you are, right? Exactly, exactly. And I love that. I love being a coach. I was a consultant at one time. I have 30 years experience in finance and accounting, and I thought, oh, I should be a consultant. And I went in, and then you're right, the pressure of trying to um, tell clients and really help guide them and make their decisions with and for them um, was a lot of pressure. And then I thought, I'm not gonna go back to school and become a psychologist, because I don't really care what happened when you were a baby, right? So I take people from where they are today, and we figure out where they wanna go, and we create the plan and the journey for them. But you also bring your expertise to the table too, and say, Absolutely. once you, but you believe to understand the entire person you can't, guide them and that's what a coach guides a, a coach and a teacher are facilitators a consultant yes. is a hey here are my steps this is what we're doing end of the discussion 
Like there's yeah. no wiggle room. And a lot of times what happens with people consultants, they don't really listen to the consultant anyways. So this it's, it's more of them coming up with that. So what can your book teach us involving coaching that might be a little different than the average coach out there? So my book um, really is a guide, okay? And it's all is um, around the premise of putting yourself first. And that idea that if I take care of me, um, it increases my self-worth, my self-love, and uh, makes me better for all those around me. And the biggest problem that most people have is they need clarity around what it is they wanna do, what it is they wanna be, or where they wanna go. So I take them through. Day one, we look at what do you wanna do, what's the clarity? Day two is excuses. How do we eliminate your excuses to get you where you wanna go? And um, day three is we talk about how do we take action Okay, and I guide them through my process of when I coach them. And then the rest of the book is really um, different tips on how to take care of yourself. And it all culminates in day 30, right, that tells you create that plan for yourself. And how can you take care of you? Because I'm a believer self-care is selfish and you need to be good to you. You need to take care of yourself. And you're spotting that. So who are the type of people that would benefit from your coaching? What, who do you focus on as the, because there's different coaches that focus on specific type of clientele. Right. So I actually work with clients right now. I'm working with professional women who are going through so much in their lives, right? COVID-19 changed the world for all of us, right? Um, and they're working from home. They're homeschooling their children. They have their spouse around them all the time, and they can't get five minutes alone. And when you can't get five minutes alone, you are snapping at everybody. You're losing your patience. And um, those are the people that I'm helping right now because they need it, and they just need support. They need some help on how to find that five minutes um, and they learn you know um, day number four in my book we talk about breathing right the yeah. first thing we do right so simple right the first thing we do when when we're born and the last thing we do when before we die is we take that breath and we forget to do that during the day and breath helps us release our stress helps us feel better it gets our shoulders out from our ears and down back where they belong right and that's what i show and the second thing that people are really struggling with right now is connection how do you and i connect through this screen right um and um, on day 26 we talk about connection and how important it is and why we need to connect with people whether that just call them up have a great conversation laugh with them and that's kind of what my book does and who i'm helping these days are just people that are just feeling um anxious and stressed because this time of year this pandemic yes oh has taken over exactly so what types of women professional women are you so not just entrepreneurs but also ones that are working in the workforce too as well yeah ones that are working with the workforce and the interesting thing is they're they people that have career jobs right they're worried too about how long is my job going to last what's going to happen when i have to go back to the office what am i going to do with my kids um 
if I have to go back to work, who's going to be home with them? So they have, there's so many stresses on, on people right now. And if they just took five minutes for themselves, they would feel so much better and they would be able to handle all of these pressures that they're putting on themselves. Yes, handling those pressures, figuring out what to do and how to do it is so important. And I think that you're bringing the information that's needed out there for women who are going through this, but it's COVID-19 has just been really difficult on the working woman and working woman professional in any field it is, because mm -hmm. if they still work from home, they have to manage their home. If they're going yeah. out, they have to figure out ways of having someone else watching their children and yet not bringing the virus back home. So there's right. such pressures that they need to talk to someone like you to kind of get through those hurdles and those challenges. Yeah, and give them strategies. And it's so needed. So where can people find information on you and purchase your book? Where can they go? They can go to my website, um, at, which is virgincoaching.com, um, or they can just come and schedule some time with me at speakwithmarsha.com. Remember the Brady Bunch, speak Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> well, I think it's so important that you have that, uh, uh, play, that place to kind of speak about these things and to look at these things in so many ways, because again, people are so stressed out right now, especially what women are having to deal with because of being quarantined their work and different things and then as professionals they like to get away that's why they've chosen to work uh outside the home and <laughs> working in the home and so that's the whole process they need to talk to somebody like you because it's a totally different animal for sure yeah i appreciate i appreciate you coming by thank you so much for having me all right take care see you bye-bye right, you're listening and watching the neil haley show and we'll be back in just a moment Celebrity slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download. Free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Author's Corner segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program. Melinda Broadstone, author of The Hardest Decisions Are Often the Best Decisions. You know what? That is so true, but yet we are afraid to make them, Melinda. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, Neil. I'm good. Thanks for inviting me to the show. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Um, yes, the, we're reluctant to make the hard decisions. We're often scared to make the hard decisions. Um, there's a lot of fear that drives um, avoiding making those hard decisions. Uh, so much of it is driven by um, our past and our, the collective consciousness and the fear of the future and what it's gonna be like to step out of our typical everyday habitual way of doing things. So it, it can be a challenge. I agree. And it's something that makes people from not make, making that great decision that uh, will change their lives in so many ways. So tell us why you wrote the book. Uh, <laughs> 
I wrote the book because, um, you know, I, what really pains me is when people do not live their dreams and people do not live their potential right. and they, they mostly live in pain and regret, um, and habit. And nowadays you can even kind of translate habit into addiction. Um, so we're constantly trying to find ways to distract ourselves from the way that we're feeling and what's coming up in our minds so that we can function and do what we think we're supposed to do. And we have these dreams, but we're not taking action on those dreams. We talk about them, but the decisions haven't been made and the actions that go with them haven't been taken. So we end up, you know, each day is a mini version of our life. Exactly. So if you don't like your life today, you're probably at the end of your life, you're going to go, well, crap, what was I doing? Exactly. And so many people live that life and uh, miss out on so many things because they might, okay, I want more money, so I'm going to do a job I hate, or I'm going to do a job just because of security, or I'm going to choose to live here because it's safe. And then later in life, they have those what if questions. What if I would have done a chosen a different path? What exactly. do you say to those people? <laughs> it's never too late to start. <laughs> I agree. That's so true. I was, I was talking to Suzanne about that on the show. Evan's saying I'm 47 and now I'm growing the business to another level where it's not, it's just going to be not just me. And it's a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety and a lot of, you know, intrepidation she told me you know it's gonna it's gonna scare you you're gonna fail at first and you're gonna learn well that was great she told me this but ultimately it's like wow it really you, you you'll kick yourself you never tried it and I look back at the days when I was a professional wrestler and I chose to not go any further and there are you know doubts but we we have to live our passions right we have to live what we were truly meant to do right yes and what we enjoy doing too. I mean, I can remember I was, I think 16 and I had taken up skiing and, and I wanted to go on a ski trip with a, a high school group. And I, and my mother said, well, you can do that when you get older. Now it's not the time to do that. And somehow I managed to go because in my heart of hearts, I knew that probably when I was 30, 40 or 50, I probably wouldn't be skiing. <laughs> <laughs> And I wasn't. <laughs> and so there's things like that that are just, um, you know, passions that, um, why miss out on that? So it's about the, uh, the passion of life, what fuels us so that we can put in the hard work as well to the things that we want that take more effort. Yeah. Okay. So um, did you leave the Zoom? Oh. Okay. Don't worry. We can edit that out. All right. Let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> You're there, Melinda. Keep going. Okay. All right. So, well, so I'm just going to just jump to the next question, and that will be edited by my team. All right. So you always love those things. I'll just have to remember out of whatever interview. Okay. So back to um, you talked about what what do you why this book you talked about you want people to make those hard decisions, but what's the reason you wrote the book? You've kind of told us the reason you the want to help others. Why I wrote the book. Yeah, kind of I like, want people to learn how to do things differently. I want them to wake up 
um, because making hard decisions is really about waking up to an internal process. And culturally, we're so oriented externally. We're so on the go. We have so many things on our to-do list. We're putting our, all of our attention, our efforts outward. And as, as a culture, we haven't really been trained to, to pay attention inward, to turn that around, because that's where it all starts. It starts pretty deep inside of us, those decisions. Um, and so we have to learn how to um, rest our attention back closer to the subconscious so when the, the negative narrative comes out, we can nip it in the bud. So when um, the habitual way of doing things or the habitual decisions, you know, we make about 35,000 decisions a day. Yeah. And they say that, the scientists say that over 95% of them are actually made in the subconscious and that then we just think that we're making all these decisions. And what kind of a decision is one that you're just making over and over again and re reproducing the past? So if you want your life to be different and if you want to grow in, if you, whether you want to grow your, your business or you want to step into something new or even if you want to just start getting fit again, no matter what area of life it is, um, anytime we go to stretch, the subconscious triggers us to say, you know what, it's not that important or, you know what, maybe tomorrow <laughs> or, you know, there's this complacency that keeps us feeling comfortable. And that's what the part of the mind does is that it strives to keep us comfortable and safe. Okay. So where, where can people find information on your book and learn more about you? Where can they go? Sure. Um, I have a webpage, Melinda, M-E-L-I-N-D-A, Broadstone, B-R-O-A-D-S-T-O-N-E, author.com forward slash books with an S on the end. And you'll see the cover of the book and uh, you'll be able to purchase the book there. Um, and there's a link to some other sites. So if you want to learn more, but um, I'd love to share a few tools around that book. We, um, that we are, we, um, we might have to just so people need to go check it out really quickly about 30 seconds, you can give us a couple tools really quickly. Okay, so what I'd like you to know is that wherever you are in your life, you have a choice and um, you can make a new decision and you can follow it up with new action. And one of the most influential tools we have to influence others as well as our own life is learning how to influence ourselves. And that's on a physical level, an emotional level, a mental level, and a higher knowing level. All right. Well, we definitely look at those things. I appreciate you stopping by. And uh, really, the title of your book is something everyone needs to ask themselves that question. And if they say they've not made that decision, then guess what? They're not living. And living brings your passion and your excitement and everything. And if people are bringing you down from that, it's a big problem. So thanks again for stopping by. Exactly. Thank you, Neil. You're welcome. All right. You're watching and listening to the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.